this joyful patient I have, perhaps the patient that's not so joyful. The not so joyful patient. Leadership style comes from a, a body of work called appreciative inquiry. There would be some guilt. Well, Alan, why aren't you more caring? Why aren't you more compassionate? I really brought out the best in this patient. I had it in me, I had the bandwidth, I had the capacity to bring out the best in this typically non-joyful patient. Hey, Alan, how are you? I'm doing well, Katie. You know, still in celebratory mode. I, I know we celebrated. It was fun, all four of us, the other night, and then celebrating a, an anniversary as well. And I know we've talked a lot about celebrations. So your encouragement has rubbed off on me. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Well, I think the encouragement started with you. So the feeling is mutual. But yes, it's hard to believe we are recording episode 22. And, you know, I think it's very fitting that we are talking about joy in serving others and how, at least in my mind, I think what we're talking about on this episode really stems from the fact that so often as healthcare providers, we're in that daily grind and we forget what a blessing and what a joy it is to actually get to take care of our patients in the ways that we do. So I'm looking forward to unpacking this with you, Alan. And it's going to be very interesting because we're going to talk about both patients that are a joy to serve and those that might not be so joyful. And we know that in reality, we have both. And so we're going to talk about practically what could that look like. And we're going to provide a simple tool and a process to walk through this joyful patient I have, perhaps the patient that's not so joyful. Ah, uh, the not so joyful patient. You know, I wonder how many times I've been the not so joyful patient. Like they see my name on the schedule for the day. And they're like, here comes the not so joyful patient. But we won't talk about that. Because I know as healthcare professionals, we're always joyful, no matter which side of the give or receive in the healthcare world that we're in. At least that's what I tell myself. But I know when I don't feel well, I probably fall into that not so joyful category. Yeah. Or if you haven't had enough cookies. Anyway, we digress. All right. So joy in serving others. And we're going to tackle this from a leadership perspective, knowing that th there's more to it than simple leadership. But I think it's important for us as leaders, as men and women of influence every day, both personally and professionally, what could it look like if I changed my perspective? And we've talked in on previous podcasts about perspectives. And so on this episode, we're going to tackle the perspectives of, yes, what's my mindset with this patient who may be, you know, a real joy to work with, but what do I do when either I don't feel joyful or the person or persons on the other side of me is not joyful? And we're going to walk through a couple practical examples using a simple framework to say, okay, what can I do to be more joyful? in particular when I don't necessarily feel like it. That's good. I can already start thinking about ways that this would apply to my work, but also to my personal life as well. So I'm looking forward to us diving into this. So I know since we're going to approach this from a 
storytelling perspective, Alan, do you want to tell a story about a patient? I'll let you pick. Do you want to go the the joyful patient or the not so joyful patient first? Before we dive into that, let me set the stage a little bit for the type of leadership. And and then we're certainly going to apply and I'm I'm happy to to kick that off. And in this uh, leadership style comes from a, a body of work called appreciative inquiry. In, in essence, what that means is it takes a perspective from a positive standpoint. Think of it in these terms. I can come at something glass half full, glass half empty, and I have the choice. The appreciative inquiry approach says, okay, how can I come at this situation as we're talking on this episode from a positive perspective and, and in that viewing things through that lens? We're not saying that there's not a negative. There's going to always be negative. We're choosing to come from the positive perspective. And in that lens that I put on, beginning to see that patient in a different light, knowing that patient may not be joyful and they may never be joyful. How can I approach the situation through a different lens? We've talked about lenses before, but through a positive perspective. This ties in to really our theme of appreciative leadership. And, and I wanted to read briefly some of the key components of it, and then we're going to unpack this in detail. So appreciative leadership has four main components. One is it's the relational capacity connectivity. So this requires me having some sort of relationship, in this case, with that patient. So the relational aspect of that, to increase that capacity to create that potential and turn it into a positive. So this requires me increasing my leadership capacity. What is that in simple terms? It's going to stretch me. I don't necessarily enjoy being stretched. That's out of my comfort zone. It's out of the way I normally do things. But when I allow myself to be stretched, it gives me a greater capacity to serve others. So it's relational. It turns things into a positive situation. As I mentioned, it increases that, that capacity, and then it leads to rippling effects. And what do we mean by this? When I have come from more of a healthy perspective, a positive perspective, I run a greater opportunity of that positive ripple effect impacting the patient in a positive way. That patient may not receive it, but as leaders, it always starts with ourselves. So the rippling effect of that positive approach, that healthy approach, being for the patient versus against him or her or for myself, creates a capacity and a space for there to be greater health. As a quick example in pharmacy, this is how it could play out every day, and I'll go into more detail in my example in a second. But if I have that patient who's very difficult, I might convey that information to that patient, but from a very deficit-based approach, negative, I want to get this over with as fast as I can, this patient is bothering me, and all that may be true, but coming at it from more of the positive perspective, looking at that patient in, in a collaborative, relational way, saying, how can I increase the capacity to improve their health? And it starts with me. So my interaction with that patient will come from a positive perspective. 
even though negative is still present, we live in reality versus this patient's going to be difficult. I don't want to talk to her. I'm just giving her a medication and she can go on her way. That perspective and that change starts with me as that leader, as that healthcare professional who defines that culture for that patient. Wow, Alan, that I'm glad that you gave us that framework before we started talking about stories. But I'm going to need a minute to unpack that. It sounds like a lot of work on me as the leader. It's a lot of work and it's really difficult. Okay. I make a choice with every patient, every healthcare professional, um, every person in my family each and every day. And as you've said many times, Katie, progress over perfection, which is a great reminder. But I make that choice. And I know for myself, when I approach something with more of a deficit-based, meaning a negative lead, all the things that are wrong, that cynical, I don't want to be here, which is reality for all of us. But when I lead with that, it will come across. I am not good enough to contain it. And so either health or unhealth is going to come forth from me. And if I'm fighting for my patient's highest possible good, wanting their health to improve, but I'm approaching it from a negative deficit-based approach, I will be more limited in my effectiveness to help that patient achieve the highest form of their own health. Well, when you put it like that, I think it really does bring it back to why are we in healthcare? Why do we do what we're doing? And so for me, I think using that as my motivation to desire to be more committed to actually making that mindset shift. So I'm, I'm curious how it's, this seems like we're coming up on a little bit of homework for Katie. Like, all right, what are some ways that I can apply this appreciative inquiry formula or lens to some things going on? Yeah, that's good. And the other part of this that is in the appreciative inquiry that leads to that appreciative leadership is I'm also leaning into my strengths. And we all have strengths. We have to use our weaknesses every day as well. It's a both and. But in this, am I able to continue to tap in some of my strengths in that space? Again, this does not necessarily mean that it's all going to be so easy but what we're asking is, can I lean into that space in really showing that patient that I am for that patient and calling up to a higher calling, meaning our calling to our professions to improve the health and well-being of those we serve. So the first thing I would ask all of our listeners to identify, think about recent interactions with your patients. And let's start with one that went really well or that patient that you enjoy. What are some of the strengths that you bring? What are some of those positives in the way you interact? And we all have different strengths and we all have them. They may look different. And begin to focus there. How can I bring that more? Not only to that patient I really enjoy working with, but the one who's not so that's a great place to start because then that's where I lean into things that are more natural to me. Katie, I can see that the wheels are turning in your mind. I would say a penny for your thoughts. I don't, I can't have a penny around here. But... Take a, I'll take a cookie. Okay. You know, 
my I'm a little skeptical, which I know you always invite. But also I'm thinking so many times, and I'm curious how this fits into appreciative inquiry or appreciative leadership, is thinking about how kind of the why behind the lack of joy. You know, I'm thinking about myself. I know in the last episode we talked about my journey in healthcare and as a patient. And I'll tell you that there are probably a couple of people out there, a couple of providers that I started out on their not so joyful list because I was so anxious. I was really anxious when I sat there and I was in the oncology. I'm sure my oncologist probably was like, oh, she's not very pleasant. But I was so anxious that I came out rude. And so part of me wonders if part of this appreciative inquiry is really being able to also just kind of look behind what's actually going on, looking behind the surface. And perhaps that's the relational. Is that the relational aspect that I'm kind of talking through here, do you think? Absolutely, because we want that positive approach to be meaningful versus I'm just making up positive stuff about Katie. Not really helpful. And so, but how do I know those things about Katie? There's a relational piece. See, in that I go, oh, Katie loves to run. Okay, there's a relational connectivity, bringing out some of the positives that can come only from knowing someone. And so we're, so in that, we have to build some relational connectivity so that I can then call up those positives. I mean, in, in the workplace with, with people I work with in, in application of this, it's calling up things I've seen them do well. Okay. If I don't know this patient, that's going to be almost impossible until I begin to develop some relationship. It could be, I know they love to fish. They may come in very upset, angry, hangry, all of that. And we mm -hmm. deal with people who don't feel well. But there may be an opportunity for me to draw out some positive in a connective way. And so this is beginning that building that collaborative relationship that is meaningful to the person or persons on the other side of me versus making something up that just really sounds like platitudes that doesn't have any substance. Mm, okay, that's good. That's really good. That helps. Well, let me give you an example, Katie, of one of my patients. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that was more of the challenging variety. And so this was many years ago. I'm going to use the name Jim. I don't believe his name was Jim, but that's okay. And Jim was probably in his mid to late 70s. I worked at a small independent community pharmacy in a very rural part of Oklahoma. So everyone knows everyone. It's a town of 2000. And I didn't know this gentleman very well. And so when he would come in, he would have a paper bag full of his medication vials for refills. And he had a tendency of coming in five till six. <laughs> we closed at six, except on the days he came in. And he would have sometimes 10 medications. Okay, that doesn't make him negative. The other parts of this made him less than joyful for me. He would come in and he would drop that paper sack just kind of on the counter the pharmacy counter there. And when you would open the bag, you would take your life in your own hands. Now, what do I mean by that? 
those prescription vials would almost walk out on their own. There is a level of, oh, that's kind of nasty. And then there was this. And I'm not going to go into detail. It's not helpful. But I'm there faced with the fact that these prescription vials that he's brought back in and they're completely empty are not pleasant. And there are 10 of them. It's five till six. And I'm really hungry. It would be one thing if he came in and said, oh, Alan, I'm so sorry. I know you're about to close. That kind of thing. But it was just put him on the counter, goes and sits down and doesn't say much to me. And so you start the process. And this is going to take a little while. And then being finished, he would not have any gratitude at all. Wouldn't say much. Just felt a little perturbed that it was taking so long. I mean, I could go on and on. And so you can see this is the norm for Jim. This wasn't one uh, occasional reaction. And so in that moment, I have a choice. I wish I could sit here and tell you that I adopted this appreciative leadership approach with him. Meaning what? I took time to build relationship with him through conversation. Early attempts didn't get me anywhere. So what did I do? Yeah, I'm done. He doesn't want to talk to me. Fine. I won't talk to him. Okay. So there's one strike there. From a positive perspective, I don't have a good poker face. Never have. My nonverbal speaks volumes. I'm sure there was not a lot of positivity coming from my nonverbal. Mm. So there. Okay. So what's rippling out from me? Jim, again, here's your medication. Now it's 615. I'm really hungry. Now other people are stopping by, even though we're supposed to be closed. My attitude is not good. And we talk about where the mind goes, so goes the actions, right? The attitude precedes the behavior. Mind's negative. What is coming out? It's not health. It's not positive. I'm not for him. And so the rippling effects of that, I'm sure we're not good. Hmm. Jim clearly had a lot of health issues, probably some of which I didn't know. He definitely had difficulty walking in and walking out to the pharmacy. He was on a lot of medications, a lot of disease states. But what was my choice in that moment? I was focused on me. Mm. And there is a difference when it is I or me versus we. And in that moment, more times than not, it was about me. And when it's about me, what ripples out is you're an inconvenience. You're bothering me. I wish you'd get your act together. On and on we go. Mm. As a healthcare professional, that is my not fighting for his highest possible good. So Katie, what thoughts, questions as you're hearing this? I I'm curious your insights or other thoughts you have around this. Well, thank you for sharing that. I can, I mean, you did a great job of painting the picture for us. I'm curious, Alan, how you felt in, in that moment, in those moments, what was going on in your mind about yourself? Not necessarily about Jim, but about you. You know, it was mixed feelings, Katie, because I clearly was not happy. But then there would be some guilt set in as to, well, Alan, why are you being so selfish? Why aren't you more caring? Why aren't you more compassionate? On and on we go. So there's basically this committee in my head is, hey, what would it be like to be in Jim's shoes right now? 
So having kindness, being empathetic as healthcare professionals, that's important. But then there's this other side of me that's irritated that he came in again when I was the only pharmacist there, which typically the last hour of the day, I'd be the only pharmacist on duty. And he would inevitably come in five, 10 minutes before we closed. I was the only one there. I'm having to do it all. Our technicians have gone and I'm not happy about it. And so this is the conversation in my head going back and forth. And so, you know, driving home, 20 minute drive, that's where the guilt and shame would come in. And I've mentioned guilt and shame many times. Alan, you could have been nicer. I'm sure Jim felt your irritation. He didn't feel well and you made it all about you. On and on, we could go with that narrative in my head. But what's fascinating, Katie, is that the next time he would come in, pretty much acting the same way, I didn't see myself changing. And this is why this can be so difficult, because there were things in him that triggered me. We talk about that from an emotional intelligence perspective. And in that, it's really hard for me to be positive. It's a very fixed mindset that's incredibly negative. And I find for me, that's very difficult to change. Okay. When you talk about how you felt, the idea, the thought that just kept coming back to my head is this appreciative inquiry and appreciative leadership really benefits not just the patient, but you as well. Mm -hmm. What would life be like if Alan didn't drive home beating himself up for that encounter with that patient? What if instead it felt like, you know, I really brought out the best in this patient. I had it in me. I had the bandwidth. I had the capacity to bring out the best in this typically non-joyful patient. Now, we're not saying that Jim was going to jump up and down and, you know, give you spirit sprinkles, but I think it's a win on both sides. It is, and it speaks to something that we've talked about earlier. I've made many assumptions about Jim. Majority, maybe all of them are incorrect. But those assumptions are driving my perspective that is coming to Jim from a very negative, cynical, bitter place. And the reason we're bringing up the appreciative inquiry, the appreciative leadership is, okay, I'm aware that my tendency to Jim is probably not going to be good or some other person. Okay, the awareness is great and that's where it starts. Now the choice. I didn't have appreciative leadership at the time. Uh, it would have been helpful for me to then go, okay, how can I first build some sort of relationship? I can take the initiative, I can take the effort. Maybe I find out that he likes to fish. Okay, then building off of that, how can then I begin to come at this from a positive perspective? Jim does not feel well. That's reality. He's on a lot of medications. Okay, that's reality. But can I bring a little joy, a little encouragement, perhaps giving Jim a glimmer of light that he hasn't had today or maybe for several days? That requires an increase in my capacity. It starts with me. Appreciative leadership is not saying it's up to Jim. Jim's supposed to come in full of life and joy, and then I'll reciprocate. That's not how it works. We, as the healthcare professionals, as the leaders, define the culture. So we make that offer first. 
that is something that has been very painful for me to learn. But the more and more I practice, the more and more I'm leaning into this. Mm. And we know progress over perfection. We say it almost now. It's become yes. a mantra. Katie, I'm curious now. You, you have a couple examples of, of patience. Yeah, and perhaps a similar but somewhat different scenario. So, you know, I'm a dietitian, And so really where I can think of patients I spent the most time with was in my days of being an outpatient dietitian. People would come and see me. They would have an hour appointment or a half hour follow-up. And I worked for a while with this one particular patient. I'm going to call her Tina. And Tina came to me really needing to make some changes in her diet. She knew that she needed for the sake of her health, that her health was really in jeopardy. And she knew she needed to make these changes. And so as a dietitian, I was there to partner with her to walk her through these changes. But every week we would come up with goals together and then every week she would go off and come back and she would have done nothing towards her goal. Absolutely nothing. Which is fine because then, you know, maybe we didn't do a good job of setting the goal. Fast forward, weeks upon weeks, goal setting can never set a goal that Tina would even what appeared to me would even try. So I think the word that comes to me is just frustration, being frustrated with my client who said that they wanted to change, but there was just really no indication whatsoever to the point where it just exhausted me. So I'm curious in that situation, and I know it's speculative, Katie, applying this lens of appreciative leadership, do you think anything would have been different? Mm. You know, I think, especially from the beginning, if I had, I mean, obviously there was the relational component because we were meeting with each other once a week. But I wonder if reflecting back, if I was really still being more transactional than relational. Tina needs to make a change in her diet. Tina, here's the changes that you need to make. Go make them. That's pretty transactional. So I do wonder if there was a little bit more, if I could have dug a little deeper to find out what was really going on behind why these changes weren't being made. Let's now take it from your perspective as a healthcare professional. What was it like for you when Tina would come back not having made any progress, maybe not even having tried any of the interventions that, that you and her worked on together? What was that like for you as a healthcare professional week after week? Well, two things. I mentioned already that it was frustrating, but then the second thing is that it really made me question my own ability to help this particular patient. And so maybe that's a little bit of pride, but it felt like nothing I'm doing is working. Nothing I'm trying to partner with you to do is working. I felt like a failure. So I'm going to ask a bit of a provocative question. Katie, do you believe that there was ever a point in time where terminating that relationship with her was something you considered, thought 
should have done, ought. We don't like oughts and shoulds, but I am curious what, what was going through your mind over time. Well, I do think at some point you might get to the point where if you're not making any progress, it's time to look at doing something different and perhaps the, different, the something different is a different provider or a different time. You know, I am a, a huge advocate for patient autonomy and it's part of our ethical frameworks. And so it's obviously their choice, but if they're not making progress, I think it is, I mean, maybe it would have been time for that conversation. It, it's a tough space to walk. But I want to highlight the point that Katie's bringing from her example is that as healthcare professionals, we can offer, but it's still upon that patient to receive. Appreciative inquiry makes that offer to that person or persons for that person or persons to receive. And ultimately, that's what we do. And but in that, Katie is bringing up a great point of. I've not done enough because I want to help that patient and I've given them some wonderful information that will help them, but they're choosing to reject it. And that's a tough place. And appreciative leadership is, does not say, well, you just keep going because what could be the result of that? And Katie's alluded to this. It's incredibly draining. It's frustrating. I feel like I'm continually banging my head against the wall. So this is that, that fine line. There's no rule. There's no equation here. But it is important for us as healthcare professionals to recognize that the patient has a responsibility to accept the help. I can make every offer to, to co converse with Jim. If he doesn't want to talk to me, he's not going to talk to me. But I can make that offer. So, Katie, I appreciate you bringing up that point. I think that's very important for us to consider. Absolutely. So what are some other ways, Alan, we can apply appreciative inquiry? It's a great question. Let's talk about applying it to ourselves. So <laughs> as someone, yeah, here we go. Oh, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> as someone who has a strong tendency to focus on the things I don't do well and obsess there, appreciative inquiry, appreciative leadership has great application for me. I am one of those individuals that imperfections seek me out. It can be in others. It can be in myself. Then I have a choice to make. My tendency is to focus on the one thing, the 5% that didn't go well. I'll just take myself of something that I did today. I will focus and obsess on the 5% that didn't go well. Meaning that 95% that went well, that doesn't matter. Think about if you do that day in and day out. Again, to Katie's point, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. But I'm focusing on the one thing or multiple things that didn't go well, and that's only where I focus. I can tell you over time of that deficit-based approach, which means I focus solely on the negative. That will do tremendous harm, and I can attest to that. It has several effects, a couple of which we've mentioned before. I'll, I'll give you a couple of them uh, as a refresher. One is it makes it almost impossible for me to celebrate. It wasn't perfect. Who am I to celebrate 95% on that project? I blew it with that one patient. I'm not celebrating. I messed up. The inner critic comes out. Guilt and shame comes out for me. 
then I tend to sit in the guilt and shame. Hard to celebrate in that space. The other thing that can happen for me, I'll just give one more, is that over time of my continually finding the things I didn't do well, and they will always be there, begins to undermine my ability or my perception that I can do anything well. I messed up on that. Who am I to take on that promotion? I can't even do my job right now correctly. You know, who am I to serve on that committee? I can't even lead my own team. We could go on and on with that. It will have an effect. I used to believe that being so hard on myself, that deficit-based, drove me to be better. And it is a motivator, yes. But the question we ask is, how's that working out for you now? And I will tell you, at 52 years of age, not so well. <laughs> it motivates, sure. But long-term, the effect from self-inflicted wounds, and that's what these are, we talk often about how we can be our own harshest inner critic. It does tremendous harm, and it can undermine then my confidence and my ability. And we all have tremendous abilities. We wouldn't be healthcare professionals if we didn't. So applying the lens of appreciative leadership can really and start with us individually ourselves. We can't give away what we don't possess. If I'm coming from a very deficit-based approach to myself, there's a pretty good chance that's coming out to others as well. Last thing I'll say, and then Katie, I'm curious um, if any of this resonates, is can I apply that lens of curiosity versus a lens of contempt to myself and to others. Appreciative leadership is saying, yeah, positives and negatives are both there. We live in reality, but I'm going to approach this situation, whether it's to me or to others, through the lens of curiosity versus the lens of contempt. I'm so glad that you brought the lens of curiosity versus contempt back into the conversation because every time we talk about it, I feel like, yes, this is how I'm going to, you know, I, I, I'm going to approach the rest of my day or the rest of my week. And sometimes I don't even make it to the end of the hour, depending on, you know, the different things. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I having a hard day? So I think it's good to have this kind of constant reminder, especially since, and I'm sure I've said this on the um, podcast before, but as healthcare professionals, we are trained to look for the deficit. We are trained to look for what is wrong. And so instead of coming at most things with that curiosity and with that appreciation, we really aren't trained to do that. So again, it feels a little bit like writing with your non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I need some post-it notes or reminders, or maybe you just need to text me every hour Katie, are you being curious or are you having contempt? Which is it? <laughs> Just to get me into that practice. So I do wonder if it's a practice, if it's something that we can get in this rhythm of practicing, reflecting on, and then moving forward. It does take practice. It doesn't happen overnight. And this gets in even into some of the neurobiology neuropathways we've talked about on previous podcast, but it does take practice. And I would encourage practice in some very small, again, not insignificant, but some small areas. For me, that when the negative can come out 
for whatever it is, missing a turn or failing to catch a typo in a paper or, you know, things like that. Can I recognize, okay, yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, we live in reality. We want to to recognize that. But then what can I celebrate? What can I say, but you did a great job in X. Or, oh, you know, I missed that turn. I wonder what's going on right now versus I can't believe you missed that turn. You always get lost. You can't ever find your way on and on. And you can see the difference. It takes that practice. And this is another instance where others around you who know you well can be especially helpful. Mm -hmm. I can go into that mode and not even realize it because it's so natural for me into that self-contempt that goes to others-centered contempt. And it takes others often to go, whoa, Alan, hey, you just missed a turn. You're okay. My wife is great about this. It, it's okay. We have time. I may not even realize it because it's a natural tendency. The same is true in the workplace. I'm sure my nonverbal toward Jim was instant the moment he came in, and I may not have even been aware of. Others could say, hey, Alan, boy, you do not look happy. It, it's a reminder in a quick check-in of, oh, okay. Once again, I'm not going to beat myself up for that, but can I make a healthier choice? And that's what we're talking about because we all have choices to make each and every day. Now you're speaking my language. Can I make a healthier choice? You're speaking my language, Alan. Yeah. Katie, let's now transition to outside of the workplace. And, and I'm reminded of some things you said even on our last episode as you shared um, the why and some of your story and, and journey that was so powerful. But let's take it from a perspective of how can I apply this at home and however you want to apply it. But I, I was reminded of some things you said last time, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, I'm curious. What? Tell me what, you, what you're thinking. Well, one of the things I was thinking is how easy it could be for Katie to beat herself up when she's not the perfect mom. <laughs> Are you following me around? <laughs> yes. Um, mom guilt is real and we aren't perfect. And I would tell a best friend, I would say, like, just have some grace for yourself. But it's really hard to tell that to myself because all I see is you forgot to order the school lunch or you forgot that they needed a specific something for the band concert or whatever it is. Yeah. I remember an example you shared where something about dinner didn't get fixed or whatever, but your family still lived. Yes, they still ate. And they're still alive. They're still here. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're still here. Well, wonder when mom's going to, you know, get off of the podcast so she can, you know, go do whatever they need. Yeah. No, I think it's totally right. And And we bring this up because... We know that all of us have a lot of things on our shoulders. Think of the backpack. Personal and or professional, people are depending on us. Again, a good thing. But, oh, I didn't get this exact thing done right today. I did all these wonderful things, but, oh, I, you know, I, I burned the burgers on the grill because I got distracted. That's hypothetical. That's never happened in the Spies household. 
But how easy it can be then for me to fixate on, oh, I can't believe I burned those burgers. I can't cook. I can't grill. On and on we go. How easy it is to focus solely on that. And so the challenge for all of us is when those moments happen, and they will, can I acknowledge, okay, I burned the burgers. We live in reality. But then make the choice not to go down into that pit of despair, which that's a place I will go when I come from a deficit-based approach, from that very much inner critic, I messed up again, I'm worthless, on and on. Can I in that moment go, okay, I burned the burgers, but you know what? Today, I did X, Y, and Z and did it well. It's the both and in that situation. But I will tend to go only to the negative. Oh, yeah, I did all those things today. It doesn't matter. And you can see that's a mindset. It may seem like, well, burger's not a big deal. It doesn't take much to trigger me as a perfectionist. <laughs> Even if the burgers are not burned, but they are, yeah, they're pretty done, that inner critic can come out again. And so how can I celebrate the other things that I do well, and I do things well every day, as do each of you, can I sit in that space of the both and? Uh, that is harder for me than the either or. And on the either or side, I'm going to go to the negative. Mm. Well, and I love that we brought this outside of the patient care context, but I kind of want to bring it back in because as you were talking, I kept thinking about Jim and I just wondered what would it be like if when Alan saw Jim walk in, he, you thought, what an incredible opportunity to care for someone who I might be the only person that looks them in the eye today and helps them. And even if you don't do it perfectly, even if you are crabby because you're hungry to go home to your burned burgers, but what if you look at that just as that opportunity? Or when I see a certain patient's name on my schedule for the day, instead of going, oh, great, here's that patient that probably didn't do what we decided, what we talked about is looking at it as an opportunity to really be in this space with somebody that I can It could be game-changing. Game-change. I've experienced it not with Jim uh, in some other instances. It could be a difficult student you know, that was in one of my classes, and we could, there's a lot of examples. When I've allowed myself to go there, and unfortunately for me, it's not very often. This is still a big work in progress. Okay. To your point, Katie, I've seen things and been like, oh, wow, I, I would not have expected that. Oh, there's another side to Jim. Oh, wow, we actually have a lot in common, that student and I. This is something we've also talked about of how we have more commonalities than differences. Mm -hmm. But when I looked at Jim through that lens of contempt, all I'm seeing are the differences. Well, he came in at this time. His medicines look like this. On and on. One, there's no curiosity, but there's no commonality. But to your point, Katie, if I leaned into that space, who knows what might happen? There's certainly no risk, right? If he ignores me, okay. But I've at least given that chance. And what I find more times than not 
are those individuals actually will open up or you'll see another side to them. Not a guarantee, but to your point, it's a mindset and it started with me. It's so good. Well, Katie, as we wrap up our conversation around this appreciative inquiry, looking at things from that positive perspective, leaning into some of our real strengths, being able to bring those out to people who might not be so joyful. Final thoughts, anything swirling in your mind? Just a question for you. Okay. What's one thing you want to do this next week to practice this? It's a great question. I want to, in normal day-to-day, whether it's at work, neighborhood, family, friends, I want to identify someone that I normally would not maybe speak to, or I'd be very short, wouldn't be rude, but I just wouldn't engage in much conversation and find that person and take off my lens of potential content and put on curiosity. What does that mean? Ask this individual some questions. Out of curiosity, not an interrogation, not an attempt to make that person feel bad or lesser than, but curious. What would it look like for me to go up to someone I would not normally talk to, or maybe that person's a difficult family member, and actually engage in some curiosity and really want to listen to the answers? What would that look like? So that's the challenge this next week and potentially over the next couple of weeks with different friends and family around. And it's like we said all along, Katie, try it for yourself. We're scientists. Gather your own data. See what happens. You might be very surprised on what you learn. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing how that progresses. Well, as we wrap up, always, Katie, enjoy the conversations. And you know, based at the end here, want to encourage everyone that as leaders, this is difficult stuff. But we want to continue to challenge you. We're challenging ourselves. And what would it look like to be different in the sense of that curiosity, in that sense of being intentional with people that may be very challenging and very difficult? And so we're going to try it out ourselves. We're never going to ask you to do anything that we don't do ourselves. And yeah, we'll report back. And I'll be curious, Katie, what you learned as well. Awesome. All right. As always, great to see you, Alan. Enjoyed it.